to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back once again to the Lions of Liberty podcast. It is my pleasure, as always, to invite you here into my humble abode, into the Lions of Liberty studios right here in sunny Los Angeles, and to invite you inside my brain <laughs> via this microphone. It's amazing how this stuff works. You know, I have thoughts that pop into my brain. I yell them into this microphone. Some stuff happens on computers, and now you're sitting here listening to me. It really is a marvelous world we live in. Now, I'm going to admit, and this may shock some of you, but I can be a bit of a curmudgeon at times <laughs> when it comes to holidays. Like Christmas, you know, I love Christmas movies, I love Christmas music, I love all that stuff, but let's be honest, I was raised in a Jewish household, and my biggest memory of Christmas as a kid is being made fun of for not having a tree at my house, and, you know, being told that Santa doesn't care about Jews, and that sort of thing, so, overall, me and holidays have never really mixed that well, but, you know, a couple of holidays that are pretty worthy ones are Mother's Day and Father's Day. Because for better or worse, none of us would be who we are today without the influence of our parents. And I always make sure that every year on Father's Day, even though he lives all the way across the country on the East Coast, that I pick up that phone and give my dad a ring. And on this Father's Day occasion, I figured, what better gift could I give? Other than maybe, you know, a Porsche, a Lamborghini, that kind of thing. What better gift besides a Porsche and a Lamborghini could I give to my dad? Other than to produce a show, a Father's Day edition of this podcast. And to do that, I've got a very special guest with me. He is a retired Air Force colonel, having served as a navigator in the Vietnam War. And while he may be retired from the Air Force, he certainly isn't retired from life because he is one of the most active people I know. And appropriately for Father's Day, he just so happens to be my dad. dad. Alan Clare, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thanks, Mark. Great, Great to be on with you. Well, hey, Pops. I mean, it's great great to have you on the show today. I'm going to take a stab in the dark here and guess that this is your very first appearance on a podcast. Is that correct? That is correct. All right. And I know that you obviously listen to the Lions of Liberty podcast. It's at the top of your, your iTunes feed. Um, I don't know what other podcasts you listen to, but I know you at least listen to this one. I know I got at least one fan out there. So so that, that's, that's a good start. Well, I think also uh, you've got additional fans with friends and family who listen to you once and then follow you. Well, let's hope so, because if I'm just doing this for me and you, I could we could skip all the recording and all that stuff, and I could just give you a call once a week. But, yeah, I have a feeling, well, more than a feeling, because I can see the numbers. There are some people out there. They're picking up each week, and we got some people listening to this right now. So so that's a good thing, because I'm here to, for people to listen. I'm not just here to talk to myself or just to talk to you, because we can do that anytime. Now, you know, I've mentioned on this show before, that I grew up in what I would describe generally as a, I guess, a conservative Republican household. I don't think you would disagree with that at all. And, you know, I remember as a kid being taught about personal responsibility, about taking care of yourself and your family, not relying on the government or quote-unquote society to make your way in life. And that certainly influenced my development in many ways. But, you know, I want to talk about you a little bit. I'm wondering, what are your first memories 
that have shaped your political views over the years? I mean, maybe was it when you were like a teenager or getting into college? When's the first time you started to sort of develop a political philosophy of your own? Mark, I think that occurred probably later than that when uh, I was on active duty in the Air Force in Vietnam. Obviously, being a military guy, and I did start as a navigator, I've got a total of 33 years in the Air Force and Air Force Reserve. I began to wonder, you know, not wonder about going there, because when you're in the military, you follow your orders. And uh, if it was our national policy to go and do that, then that's what I did. But uh, nonetheless, while I was there, you know, I, I read, I thought about why we were there. And everyone would tell you it was, you know, for the freedom was of South Vietnam. And uh, I would ask all kinds of people, do you know why we're here? And at the time, they would tell me, Captain, if you, uh, if you don't know by now why we're here, we can't tell you. In other words, they didn't know either. So I, I came to my own conclusions that maybe we were there to keep out of certain hands the mineral and oil resources of that peninsula. But I, uh, it began to shape my political ideas because I believe that when you put American lives at stake and on the front line, that you really should only go for one reason, and that's to accomplish what you set out to do and to win. So that was the beginning of it. So let's take it back a little bit then. Why did you first decide to join the Air Force in the first place? You know, I know you signed up with ROTC to help you, you know, pay your way through college. And so was it strictly a financial motivation or did you have some sense of kind of patriotic or civic duty that led you to sign up for the Air Force? I would say probably more of the latter, Mark. I began as a navigator. I really wanted to go to pilot school, but I wore glasses could not be accepted to pilot school, although after I had served five years of active duty and at that point decided to come off of active duty and go into the reserves, I was offered that chance to go to pilot school. So using the GI Bill while I was in the reserves, I got my commercial and instrument rating. And as you know, from your youngest days, I used to take, mom and I used to take you flying in our Stinson 1083 flying station wagon. But it was primarily because I wanted to do the Air Force thing as a career, and I certainly did feel the civic responsibility. Anyone who has the, you know, the privileges of liberty, it doesn't come free. So that, that, those are my reasons. You said that during Vietnam, when you were kind of questioning the reasons for being there in the first place, talking to people, that's when you first developed your political ideology. So how did that further develop once you got out of the war and once you were back home? Did your view of the war change at all or anything like that? Or how did your political beliefs further develop from there? It was a very unusual time. And you've heard about the the no welcome back from Vietnam. And of course, people protesting uh, while we were over there, uh, putting our lives on the line to accomplish the goals of the country. When I got off of active duty, got into the reserves, that was a time when I focused on family, building a young family. You hadn't come along yet. Bonnie was born in 1968. I focused on starting a civilian career, and I began with Xerox Corporation, and at the same time continuing with the Air Force Reserves, which I I did for another 28 years, but I really wasn't active politically. I would say I was a Republican, conservative. They were not 
I'm going to say besides the war, there were really not times of highly emotional ideas for me. What really charges me, the things that are going on of current events with the current administration, and uh, being a guy who believes in the Constitution, in liberty, in our own responsibility, that's where I am now. I mean, it hasn't been a hasn't been a long thing in terms of a progression over 40 years. It's always been there, but sometimes the passions have been quiet passions, as, as opposed to now, where with some of the things that are going on, I am very passionate about them. Right. Well, I know that there was some 20-something-year-old punk kid of yours that maybe started sending you a few clips maybe five or six years ago of this Ron Paul guy. You know, this guy that was a Republican, seemed right up your alley, spoke about small government, personal responsibility, all that great stuff. And I remember sending you some of these clips. Yes, yes, I'll I'll admit this punk 20-something-year-old kid is in fact me. You know, I remember sending you a couple Ron Paul clips, and uh, the first time I did so, I think it was a clip from a debate where he was comparing the situation in Iraq and getting bogged down there and just kind of being involved in an endless war, comparing that to Vietnam. And I remember at the time, you emailed me back saying that it's a silly analogy, hold on to your money, don't bother donating to this guy. And I did not take your advice in this case, I often do, but in this case, I continued to support Ron Paul and continued to pester you with some clips of his from debates and that kind of thing. And I think it's safe to say that over time, you became, quote unquote, a Ron Paul guy. So maybe you can just describe a little bit how listening to Ron Paul or maybe listening to me started to change your views a little bit, or at least maybe open your eyes up to a different way of looking at things outside of that traditional way that mainstream Republicans had presented issues to you. What, what are your memories of that? Let's go back to the beginning on this. I think that like most parents, when a child is born, you just hope and pray that you have a healthy child, which of course, of course we did three times. Then the next thing you wonder about is, how can I ever get the ideas, the thoughts, the beliefs that are in my mind into the mind of this child? And we did all the usual things during your childhood. For example, you know, the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts, the athletics, uh, you wrestled. But one day, parents wake up, such as ourselves, and realize that not only do our children know what's in our head and probably have beliefs very similar to ours, but at some point they're way beyond. And I remember you saying to me, we had a discussion about politics, and you said, Dad, don't don't you get it? Uh, These guys are really not different. Uh, they're the same. And that followed with a conversation where I said to you, well, gee, you have to, you ought to vote for somebody that has the possibility of getting elected if you want to impact all these things. And you felt that if you didn't vote for someone who you really wanted, and you got someone who you didn't want, then it was the same as voting for someone that you didn't want. So more and more I've come across, and I've come over to that way of thinking, Mark, the disappointments to see the Republican Party, for example, go along with this stretching of the national debt limit. 
I just don't get it. I can't, I can't run my house that way. I can't run a business that way. And I don't think we can run a country that way. I think that the security of our country is at risk, certainly when we can't pay our bills. When we can't pay our bills, we can't support a military and project either our defense or our national policy. Everything starts to go downhill. So I think we are, we are at a very, very critical point. And I, uh, I don't think people realize how close to the edge we really are. So I know I've gotten just a, a little off down the road there, but... Oh, well, that's what this show's all about. You know, we don't stick to script here at the Lions of Liberty podcast. We let it run and roll with our ideas wherever they may take us. So no apologies needed. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I can aptly say that you have been a real key in my education. And uh, I've, come over to your, <laughs> I've come over to your way of thinking. I get probably four to five solicitations for contributions a day. I mean, it's at the point where it's really bizarre. And uh, I just hope that we are able to pull our country together here, partially after the midterm elections, so that we can, we can stonewall some of the things that are in process right now. And I would hope that if a Democratic, I didn't say a Democrat, but a Democratic president, someone who believes in supporting and defending the Constitution, I'm going to sound like I'm on a soapbox, Oh, well, welcome on aboard, man. I've been on I've been on one this whole time. <laughs> All right. I live on get, the soapbox, so there's plenty of room. Gets elected. I think that we need to reverse some of the things that have been put in place here. I think that the czars need to be on day one, out of jobs. You know, we need to drive our country in a more appropriate manner toward the way the founders thought about our country. The balance of powers needs to be there. It's there for a reason. It's worked for us for 250 years, or almost 250 years. I think we need to get back to that. Let's take it back just a little bit further, because I'm kind of curious, because I don't really remember necessarily a lot of the conversations I used to have with you when I was younger, before I even got involved in this Ron Paul stuff. But I do vividly remember sort of, you know, you would always put on different news programs when we'd be in the car, um, Paul Harvey, that kind of stuff. So I was always aware of current events, aware of the news. But one thing I remember in our conversations, and maybe you remember this more than I do, but I remember always questioning things. I remember doing a lot of saying, well, why should this things be this way? Or why should things be that way? So do you have any recollections of any conversations we might have had 10, 15, 20 years ago that might have started you thinking, uh-oh, th- this kid might be trouble. He might start doing some doing some crazy thinking out there. Well, you, you've reminded me of that, so let me, let me come back right along that road. I think that we have been uh, really gifted, uh, privileged, your mother and I, to have some really talented children. Each of you has a unique skill, and from the time you were probably five years old, you had an interviewing and a questioning skill, which not only enabled you to ask intelligent questions, and analyze the answers, but I've always thought that you had x-ray vision, in effect, <laughs> in that if, so, if you felt someone was not telling you the truth, you would ask second and third level questions, and you'd keep on going, and you wouldn't stop till you were pretty sure that, that you had truthful answers, honest answers. 
So uh, I've never seen anyone else or met anyone else who uh, who had that skill, and I think uh, you know you've you've got uh, you've got piles of that. So I do remember that very well. The questioning was I first became aware of the questioning thing not with you, but certainly uh, you know in my military capacity. In that. You know, I mean, you can go all the way back to the Germans who said that we were just following orders. But when you have a college-educated officer corps, and indeed, coming out of the, the service academies, they do, as a matter of course, question when there's time to question. If they don't feel they have the right answer, they'll keep on asking questions. So we have a population you know, the generally educated people in America will ask questions and try and get the right answers. And if they don't believe them, they'll they'll keep on going. But, uh, you know, that is a freedom that we have that not every country is privy to. A good example would be North Korea. I mean, if you're behaving uh, according to their dictums and espousing their ideas, you know, or you're behind bars, we're here, you have the ability to question. And shame on some of us, on some of our population, on some of our people that don't ask questions. And there certainly is a lot to question, whether it's why do we permit people to come across the border? Why don't we prosecute those people? Why don't we, we return them? Is there a connection between the jobs that those people take that supposedly Americans don't take I've got a feeling that if those people weren't here, Americans would take the jobs. <laughs> so uh, the, there's still a lot of things that don't make sense to me, especially what's going on now. When did it come to pass that it's more acceptable to people to be on a social program and get a handout than it is to get up early in the morning get properly dressed, get your resume in shape, and go knock on a door and ask, ask people at businesses whether they can use some help. This country is what, whatever you want to make of it. There's nobody that says, you know, you, you have to be a poor guy all your life or a poor gal all your life. We all know people who have started with very humble beginnings and in the end have risen to very great heights. So I think we need to get back to that. And uh, all these handouts that we have going, it's a little different than helping people when they need it. We have incentives for people not to work now, and that, that's not helping us. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, and you mentioned immigration there and I'm going to slightly disagree with you a little bit because, you know, I, you mentioned people coming across the border, getting jobs. But I really think oftentimes those people coming across the border looking for work, they end up becoming the scapegoat for the larger issues, which you've addressed as well. You know, the unemployment problems and that kind of thing. But, you know, when we think about unemployment, you know, why are people unemployed? We have to think about why are people not working? Why are they doing that? And as you accurately described, the government has instituted so many incentives and disincentives from working that for many people, it's not worth it. And for many people, it's becoming more difficult on top of that. For example, I mean, I think a lot of the people coming across trying to make an honest living, just like many other people, just like your family immigrated here last century and that kind of thing. 
they're just trying to, you know, get a job and they're trying to improve their situation from where they're coming from. But then over here, you've got a situation where the government imposes minimum wage restrictions, all sorts of requirements now, especially with Obamacare, regarding what you need to do for an employee, whether it's health care, whether it's uh, different kinds of insurance, all these obstacles that the government has put up to people getting a job to the point that many of those jobs either are eliminated altogether or they get pushed to the black market. And the only people that are really going to work on the black market are, you know, those immigrants that are already there because they are, quote unquote, illegal. They don't have the paperwork to be here. And that's naturally who's going to end up getting those jobs. Whereas the American citizens that are sitting here out of work, well, they could go maybe try to get an under the table job for five, six bucks an hour. But why the heck should they when they can get unemployment payments that'll pay them just as much, if not more, in a lot of cases. You know, and even for myself, for people that do work, it's becoming harder and harder to do so. You know, as you know, I've had my work hours cut back recently. I'm a freelancer. I work part time at some places. And, uh, you know, most companies that I'm or every company I'm at now basically has to cap my hours for the year due to the Obamacare regulations. So there are a number of factors too numerous to even mention in in the course of one conversation that contribute to this. So what do you think about that perspective? I've done entire shows on immigration, which of course you've heard since you listen to all these shows. But, you know, what's your view on that? I mean, obviously, I know you're not necessarily against immigration per se, but, you know, what do you think about the causes and effects of all this? Well, uh, let's start with immigration. I'm for legal immigration. If you've got a whole bunch of people that have waited online and uh, satisfied the requirements, I'm not against that. When you have people that jump ahead and don't go through any of the procedures, don't follow any of the laws, no, I'm not in agreement with that. I'm against that. Right. I think the problem really is the fact that we've made the line so long and so difficult and we've kind of skewed it where it's actually harder for a regular American to find a job than for someone to jump over a fence and get a job. And that's just absolutely bonkers. I agree. And uh, the Obamacare, God, we could spend a uh, we could spend an hour on Obamacare. The question is, will the people that win the next election, do they have the wherewithal? Do they have the fortitude to replace Obamacare? I almost don't know what to say. I don't want to say with something more reasonable, but something that that is workable. I mean, as far as healthcare, it seems like just was with any industry, the best thing they could do is nothing. I mean, not nothing currently. I would like Obamacare repealed, but if you stop it repealing Obamacare, a lot of these problems are still going to be in place. You know, the problem isn't that Obamacare supposedly came into fix with so many people, you know, the, the price of health insurance skyrocketing, people getting kicked off health insurance, not being able to afford health insurance. But this stuff, just like with the immigration, it stems back so many layers beforehand. You know, it really stems back to the government instituting this HMO PPO system that they created, giving businesses an incentive. You know, you can write off that insurance payment as tax instead of as salary. So it's just the people are incentivized to jump into this sort of crony capitalist system of healthcare where it's all run through these middlemen corporations where really Real healthcare should be nothing more than a, a relationship between an individual, myself, yourself, with their doctor directly, without all these kind of corporate middlemen in between. So, you know, just like with everything, I think we can trace the problems back further than the solutions being presented. And I think that is the problem with the current Republicans and the current paradigm overall, because the current Republicans will sit there and say, yeah, we'll repeal Obamacare. Yeah. Well, great. Now what? 
are you going to appeal, you know, medical licensing? Are you going to repeal the HMO Act? Are you going to repeal all these other things? But the problem with politics is that they always think about, at least currently, they think about the issue of the day. You know, Obamacare is the issue of the day. So that's the hot button topic for Republicans to talk about. But, you know, you repeal Obamacare, we still have a mess of issues and they all stem back to all this other stuff that, you know, you don't see anybody talking about at all. I agree with you, Mark. About a week ago, I read a PR piece from the college Republicans. They wanted a contribution and I did send them a contribution. But when you read about uh, the surveys that have been taken of college Republicans, even these young Republicans feel that health care, government health care, is a right. Well, where is that in the Constitution? My God. I mean, we have created a generation of people, or we're in the process of... Hold on, and you sent those guys money? <laughs> well, not, not a lot, Mark. Well, hopefully you attach a note about their health care stance. I made the commitment, frankly, before fully reading through what their policies were. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things that they're doing. But how can we have a whole generation that we're looking to that now believe that they're entitled to government health care? Even the supposed... Uh... No, the, gov- the purpose of government is narrowly defined. What, what happened? I mean, what happened to working and taking care of yourself and, and whatever? So let's talk about that for a second. What do you think if you had to sort of scrap the current system altogether and let's play Alan Clare dictator for one second. Benign dictator, of course. But if you could design a government and you could define exactly what that government should and shouldn't do, how would you do so? What what exactly should be the role of a government? Okay. Provide for the common defense is one thing. You can't have certain states going out and you know, standing at the border or fighting a war or, you know, whatever. You've got to have a federal government to do that. I don't think there's any question about that. We give a very, very substantial part of our income to doing that. We've made promises to military people in terms of retirement and what they would get. We're in a time when only a small portion of our legislators have ever been in the military they don't have any idea what it is to, to put your life in danger for your country. Having been promised, by the way, that you know, if you get shot, we'll take care of you or injured or whatever. And it's, it's funny how those are the same guys that, are, that seem so quick and so, you know, so ready on the trigger to send everyone else's kids off to you know, fight for their life. Well, I agree. And uh, here is the situation in Iraq blowing up again. Are we to send troops in there all over again? So over the last week and a half, all I've heard is the president is considering his options. Well, okay, are we going to consider the options for six months or a year? or What are we going to do? What are we to do with that? We are in a fight with two ideas. You know, the fundamentalist idea that only their way is the right way. And we don't think it's the right way. So... When they come over and they take down the World Trade Center, yeah, we're going to strike back. But you can't go over and win a war over there in some of these countries, as has been tried, you know, probably for a thousand years. The Americans, before us the Russians, before them maybe the British or the French or whatever. That's not getting solved in five years or ten years. 
It's funny how you mentioned the British and the French because, you know, a lot of these problems in the Middle East, I mean, you can say there have been problems for thousands of years, and of course there have. There have been conflicts for tens of thousands of years between all kinds of different tribes and religions and that sort of thing. But the modern-day problem, the modern-day sort of Middle East conflict, that stuff really is, is new in many ways because, you know, let's take Israel, for example. Before the British Empire and the Ottoman Empire as well went in there and started carving up the Middle East into different locations and dividing people, you know, there was land in there. Some people might have called it Palestine, other people might have called it Israel, but there was land there, and people lived relatively peacefully. I'm sure there was a skirmish here and there, but, you know, Arabs lived there, Christian Arabs lived there, Muslim Arabs lived there, Jews lived there, and everybody got along. The problem only really started when imperial powers started coming in and saying, all right, well, this little section here, this is for this is for Muslims, and this little section here, this is for Jews. And once you take these kind of imperial divisions, that's when you see these modern inflammations of problems that might not have been quite as big. Maybe they existed, but they didn't become full-scale wars until we created all these little nation states and, and in a way, pitted them against each other. What do, you, what do you think about that? That's an interesting thought, Mark. I think we've come a long way past that basic thought to the fact that you've got a modern democratic state in the being of Israel. Now here they're surrounded by all these essentially non-democracies, monarchies. Who we also give money to as well. (laughs) Yeah, terrorists, whatever. For their people to look across the water or look across the border and see what a modern democracy can make of that land their ideas, their education, their contributions to the world. That's pretty tough for, uh, you know, for the Arab countries to have to uh, have their people look at that. That's not something that they want. That's not something they like. So I don't know what the easy resolution is, but giving up more land for peace seems to me not the answer. You're at peace with your neighbor, and then you're attacked by... uh, by maybe seven or eight other countries, you're able to beat them back. You take the Gaza Strip, you take the uh, the West Bank. Now it's yours. Now it's yours. So, I don't know. My hat is off to, uh, obviously, to the people in Israel. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer to some of the other things that we've talked about. But I think that we've got the brain power in terms of the Obamacare and in terms of some of the programs that we're involved in to solve some of these things. We have to solve some of these things. We have to solve the budget crisis. Uh, We haven't had a balanced budget in uh, how many years has it been? Has there ever been a balanced budget? I'm not even sure. I think that Clinton guy might might have snuck one in there while he was, uh, you know, busy in his office with an intern, but I I think that might be the last time. Well, maybe. We're probably all the way back to, to the early days of World War I. Well, it's funny how that works, how suddenly when America started involving itself in all sorts of imperial wars and all sorts of overseas conflict, amazing how the budget suddenly, coincidentally maybe, just took off out of nowhere. But I think I think it might be a little more than a coincidence. Well, it might be, but, you know, the world's a small place today. So somebody... Uh Somebody has a problem, you know, in the middle of Africa, and now they look toward, you know, they look toward us for help. Do we want another genocide to go on? No, I don't think we do. Do we want, you know, people slaughtered by the, by the tens of thousands? No, I don't think we do as human beings. 
What we do about these things, though, what our involvement is, we can't, you know, we are not an island nation anymore. You know, we're part of the world. We have to, you know, we have certain relations with these people. We have allies. It just has to be considered and thought about. You know, I think our brain power put together to come up with the right answers. We're not doing that now. We've got, I think, very close to a dictatorship. And, you know, I don't see the opposing party. I don't see the Republican Party really putting up an argument with it. I understand they're not the ruling party, but here the president is using executive orders to get a lot of his programs through. It simply is illegal. So, or I believe it is. Do you think it is? I think just about almost everything the government does is illegal. Um, Maybe not based on their record books, but on what my ideas of what a crime and a non-crime should be. So uh, I would certainly agree with you there. And I think the big problem comes from our overall conception of government. You know, we do not have a government of consent. We have a system where people are born into a certain region and that's their government. End of story. You know, and that, that government kind of controls how everything goes in that geographical area. But I think this comes back to our perception of what government should be. Many people see government as the means of controlling the rest of the population to sort of get whatever they think they should get, whether that's better health care or what like the college Republicans think apparently or or what have you. When really if, if we need a government where A, people consent to it, but B, and where people are allowed to secede peacefully if they so choose but the other side of that is I think, you know, in, in reality, a lot of people would consent to a government that really only did protect individual rights and really only did stick to its responsibilities as, you know, sort of a protecting the population and the general defense kind of thing. Problem is now that's not what people see as government. And, and that's why I do this show. That's why I'm out there talking about this stuff. People think government should be, you know, the means to get whatever it is in life that they happen to want. Well, I agree with you on that, Mark. I am... Uh... As you certainly know, I'm a pro-firearms guy. No, you don't say. This is news to me. (laughs) People don't understand. Many people don't understand. Not people, but many people don't understand that the right to protect yourself and your family and keep them from harm is not a right that's granted by government. It's a God-given right. And... Yeah, can the police come uh, afterwards and, you know, chase someone or whatever? I guess maybe they can, but it is up to the individual, in the end, to have the responsibility to protect their families. This is very troublesome. You know, here we live in Connecticut, just miles away from Sandy Hook, and the gun laws that have been put into place here in Connecticut and in the adjacent state of New York are simply oppressive in terms of what they do to the law-abiding citizens and the fact that they do nothing, nothing at all, for people with mental problems or criminals. Well, sure. And I'll, let me play devil's advocate for a minute because, you know, that that's what people will bring up in this gun control debate. They'll say, yeah, you know, I, I agree in theory, like this Alan Clare guy, he was in the military, he knows how to use a gun, we're not too worried about him. 
but you know, we need all these restrictions on gun ownership because there are these psychos out there that are just going to go to a school or a college campus or a mall and start blowing people up and start shooting away. So what would you say to that? What would you say to people that think, you know, the only way to stop these kind of senseless random acts of violence is to restrict the gun rights of others? Well, the actual figures prove differently, Mark. In states that have passed right to carry laws, crime plummets. It simply plummets. The more people there are, law-abiding citizens who are well-trained and armed, that's a pretty good deterrent for someone coming into a school, for example, coming into a business, when they know that there's a chance they won't be walking out if they have evil intentions. It's funny, but uh, when we were living in Buffalo, and you, you may not recall this, there was a jewelry store that was robbed in the city of Buffalo, and the crooks made the clerks lie down on the floor. They robbed the store. I, as I recall, I think they beat up several of the employees. It happened a second time, and this time the store owner shot the perpetrators, and the people in Buffalo, the Sportsmen's Alliance in Buffalo, were so appreciative of what this store owner did that they, uh, they gave him, him an award as, as a Sportsman of the Year. And uh, I applaud that. I applaud that. I think if more people, law-abiding citizens, knew and carried, there'd be a lot less crime on the streets. So I am, uh, I'm a real pro-gun guy. All right. Now, over the last couple of years, I have become an uncle, as you know, of course, which also means that you've become a grandfather. So I'm just curious, you know, where do you see things going in the next 20 or 30 years based on what you've seen thus far, based on how you've seen things develop in your lifetime here. You know, do you think we have hope for a more free society that, you know, my my nephew and your grandson can see? Or do you think things are, are just going to get worse? Where do you see things going? I think the term hope springs eternal is probably true in this case. I belong to several clubs. You know, I build airplanes, the Experimental Aircraft Association. I belong to a... Uh, an active gun club, and I see my beliefs are really echoed and my feelings about honesty, about the place of government, about freedom by these kinds of groups. And I hope that our ideas will prevail over people that think the purpose of government is to keep them on the dole and so that they don't have to work and to be a permanent class of, of receivers rather than contributors. And I believe that will happen. But that being said, I think we're at a very critical point here. And if people that believe the way you and I believe do not prevail here in the short term, uh, we might be in for some tough sledding. Well, that's why I'm doing this show. That's why I'm on the internet every day, pounding away at the keyboard, and why I'm having conversations with my dad and recording them to shoot out to the world. Because... I have to believe we can change the way people think, and I have to believe we can change the way things unfold. I don't believe that we're in manifest destiny. I don't believe the future is written, so it's whatever we make of it, you know. And if, if we sit in our hands and our thumbs and we don't speak out against the things that we see that are wrong in the world, if we just sit back and, and plug our way into the video games and into the TV, and believe me, I'd love to just unplug from all this stuff and just, you know, watch wrestling all day and, and read comic books. Like, that sounds great to me. I, I wouldn't have to think about any of this stuff, but there's this thing called reality, and... 
politics are going to come after you if you don't go after it and, and get involved in it yourself. So I think it's important that you keep speaking out in your circles and that I keep doing this stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad we agree on so many things and I'm glad that I was a part of maybe changing the way you saw a lot of issues over the last few years. So, you know, before I go, do you have any final words for my listeners? And I know I got an audience that's probably meh, a few ticks younger than you in many ways. So if you could just say one thing to this generation, these people that might be sitting there listening to what we're saying here what what would you try to impart upon people okay mark that's an interesting statement you just made in that and a true one in that i think most we're getting to the point where most folks are younger than me right now um every day when i get up i've got an awful lot to do i'm still working full time i'm going to be 71 years old here next month and there's a lot that i try and accomplish every day I try and get in the gym early in the morning, every day, uh, weekdays, and spend an hour, hour and a half being in the shape I'd like to be in. I build a couple of airplanes each week. I work full time. I do a whole bunch of other things. And there is a kind of a banner that I fly. And here's what the banner says. If you think you can't, you're right. And if you think you can, you're right. And if you go at your tasks with that attitude, in fact, most of the time you get most of what you want to accomplish accomplished in the time that you've got to do it in. So uh, I would urge you to pick up on that. And uh, I know you do an awful lot too. So uh, I guess you're a chip off the old block. Mark, Mark this has been delightful. And uh, we ought to do this each, uh, each Father's Day. Well, that sounds like, well, it's on the air now. Everybody heard you offer it, so it sounds like we're locked in. Maybe it, we'll, we'll do a, a a dad update once a year around Father's Day, assuming that this thing is still going for years and years going forward. But, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure on my end as well, and I'm glad that some people out there could, could see a little bit of where I came from and a little bit of uh, the larger block that I may be a chip off of. So thanks so much for coming on today, Pops. It's been an absolute blast. Likewise, Mark. All right, and we'll do it again. Uh, looking at my calendar here, uh, next Father's Day. <laughs> but we'll certainly talk before then in real life. Thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Okay, very good. All righty. That was wonderful. We'll be back after a little break. Do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul. And you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash Paul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the morning roar. That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of The Morning Roar where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. 
we find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. Every Monday, we have our longest-running feature, Mondays with Murray, named after the great libertarian Murray Rothbard, where we'll examine an article or an excerpt from his works and help convey his view, along with our little spin as well. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsofLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Chris Rossini's new book, Set Money Free. Set Money Free. A special forward written by Ron Paul. Everything you need to know about the Federal Reserve in less than 200 pages. Available this 4th of July. Chris Rossini's Set Money Free. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, and I hope you guys enjoyed my little conversation, my Father's Day chat with my dad, Alan Clare. You know, he and I have conversations like this all the time, so I figured, hey... Why not record one of them and let everybody see a little bit of where I came from, a little bit of that block that I chipped off of at some point there. You know, and there are some hardcore libertarians out there who might not agree with every word out of my father's mouth, maybe on immigration, on Israel, and that sort of thing. But by and large, I can say with pretty high confidence that if a lot more people thought about things in the way that Alan Clare does, or at least the concept of thinking about things and thinking things through and questioning their government and questioning motives of politicians and questioning the way things are playing out, that we would live in a much freer society. And this is a guy who up until five or six years ago, and I hope he doesn't take offense to this, but, you know, he was basically a Republican cheerleader. You know, he would, like I often would in my youth, knee-jerkingly jump to the defense of Republicans all the time on any issue just because, well, that seemed like the more correct side to him, so it, it seemed like the side to always be on. You know, and I'm glad I was able to sort of help snap him out of that mold and snap him out of that rigid left-right paradigm and start to look at things a little bit differently. I mean, he was all for the Iraq War back in 2003, 2004 from the get-go. I remember he even mentioned he was hoping he can get called up and sent over there. And now he's pretty skeptical anytime the military is sent anywhere at all. And that is a very healthy thing. Speaking of healthy, my God, this man is almost 71 years old and he does more in a day than anyone I know my age, myself included. You know, you heard him and he downplayed a little bit how active he is. But, you know, this guy works multiple jobs. He goes to the gym every single day. He's out there building airplanes. He's a part of so many different clubs, I couldn't even name them all, you know? So, you know, if you think you're going to be in your 70s someday and you're just going to be hunched over in a wheelchair and, and you're going to be old and crippled, well, guess what? That that's, is what you're going to be, you know? But if you take care of yourself and you keep active, well, hey, you could be like, you could be like Alan Claire and end up on your son's podcast someday. 
possibilities are endless for you, you know? And just like that, if you think politics is hopeless, and you think politics is only the realm of corrupt individuals, and, you know, it's never going to change, well, guess what? If that's what you think, then politics is hopeless. It is going to be filled with corrupt individuals, because your attitude and the attitude of others around you are going to enable that. So keep active, keep yourself healthy, keep your mind healthy, and keep the mind of others healthy by being a lion of liberty, by speaking out on issues, by pestering people, especially your family and friends. Pester them when they take a wrong position on something. Pester them when you think you have the right position on something. Maybe you're wrong, maybe they're wrong, but if you don't have the conversation, you're never going to sort it out. And on seeing the change in my father's view over the years has certainly given me hope. And it's that hope that it takes just one moment, just one voice to pester away and be a lion of liberty to make people see things in a different light. So I hope you guys are out there creating more lions of liberty. And if you take my dad's advice and you stay active and you stay healthy, well, then you too have high hopes to do what I always ask of you, and that is to live long and live free. (laughs) 